All right. We got music today. Yo, the uh, the classic Golden Hour soundtrack. That's right. I'm controlling it here with my little soundboard. Yeah, that's kind of neat. So yeah, we used to have the Rode um, caster thing, and now I'm using the old MacBook. We're progressively making this easier for our, ourselves. Yep. Eventually, we'll get rid of all the cameras, uh, and it'll just be audio. Just, just pictures of us cutting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just little cutouts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Smooth, right? Yeah, I missed the music, man. That's you crazy. Control that right there. So. That's, oh, nice. Fade it out. You like that? I did. I did. I really liked it. <laughs> so, hey, guys. What's up? I'm Dave Mays, and uh, we got... I'm Connor McCaskill. Connor McCaskill. This is the Golden Hour Podcast. How many have we done now? GHP.FM. Is this three now? This Four. is our fourth. Wow. In this format. We're just on a roll, guys. Episode 164 mm-hmm. um, of total shows. That's counting all the ones that I did with Polar Pro, but mm-hmm. now it is our show. That's right. It's so, ours now. See, so yeah, last week we had a great episode with Eric Walker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I listened to it. It was, uh, you guys had a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All about the C70. Yeah, C70, which is now the Dave Cam over here. Hello. We've got the C300 original as mm-hmm. our main wide, and then we've got the old... R5. The old R5, which at some point also, I should just sell everything and just buy two R5s, and then we'd have three R5s. And that True. Would, or we should buy things without... But that would be awful, because the cutoff limit... Yeah, the record limit is definitely an issue. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, we've got some cameras to talk about today. We've got some rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of rumors, actually. But first, I do want to address, I have a new video out on my channel. Uh, it's called, I Almost Ruined My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's full of hijinks. Um, David uh, ends up recording a wedding on, what camera were you using? The Sony ZV-1. Yeah. Not exactly a great camera for weddings. Not at all. Not it's at a, all. It's actually a terrible camera for weddings. I'm going to go over and go over to my, uh, my channel. Yep. I've also, uh, I didn't know if I want to announce this. No, um, don't, don't announce it yet. But yeah, so, um, you can see it here. It's got a, a really nice thumbnail that was designed by my friend Dil Toma, who, um, if you are in the YouTube thumbnail Twitter sphere, uh, he's pretty well known in mm-hmm. that world. He edited this one and my last one. Um, I am trying something different. In our niche, um, I still want to appeal to the audience that that I have, but I'm also trying to evolve into a new uh, format and right. find new audiences. Um, so this one really is kind of a story-based uh, episode, a story about my friend Brittany, who I've known since I was like six years old or something like that. Over 20 years we've known each other, uh, which is crazy. She asked me to shoot her wedding, and of course I said yes. Um, but, but (laughs) there's a catch, (laughs) (laughs) but I said to her, I was like, you have to like, I'll do it for free. Uh, cause she's a family friend, but can I please shoot a YouTube video like during this shoot? And, uh, Connor came with us, uh, Laura and myself, my wife, Laura filmed it. And then Connor filmed the behind the scenes, which was edited into the story here. Yeah. I had the old C70 on an easy rig. I did see somebody comment. Why is the BTS camera better than the main camera? (laughs) (laughs) It really was. Uh, Although eventually at a certain point, because things started to get a little dicey in the video, if you go Mm -hmm. watch it, be sure to check it out. 
uh, I ended up shooting some of the wedding too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Started to get a little more serious at the end. Yeah, seriously. It was, um, it was a lot of fun uh, to put this together. Um, it's a different format than what I'm used to. And I think this is going to be just a long-term, uh, this is a, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that I have found the job that I love. I love, I love being a YouTuber and beyond gear reviews. I love being an entertainer specifically. And I've always been banging my head on the wall about like, should I just do entertainment? Should I just do camera gear? Yeah. And I think this is sort of, it's a beautiful blend. It's leading into what I think is what I want to do, which is a blend. Yeah. A blend of the two. So in this video, I kind of educate people on lighting, on, you know, camera movement, on how to make something bad look good. Right. But then it's also, you know, I've also, to be honest, I cut a lot of things out that I did say, like, this is the Black Pro Mist filter and this is the adapter I used. And I was right. like, honestly, mass appeal wise, like people don't care about that. No, um, not necessarily. So w- what I'm thinking of doing is, because I do have two channels now, this one, my main channel and then a review channel. I may be able to do like a BTS on the review channel or something. So even for this video, I'm kind of moving on from this video. I think this was a great kind of little test run. Absolutely. Um, I think we made this very much before I had a lot of this kind of vision. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of, it was a little bit trying to make it work. Um, I think if we did this again, I'd have it more planned out and more thought out in terms of blocking and scripting and things like that. Right. A little more pre-production, a little more for pre- sure. A little more pre-pro. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't think shooting it on a bad camera necessarily has to happen. Like, I could just shoot on a normal camera and tell a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, or even a, or a really, really nice, expensive camera. Or yeah. a really nice camera. Obviously, I shot an entire wedding on the iPhone, you know, would probably perform well. Probably. Actually, um, probably perform very well. Yeah. So, stuff like that. Um, but... Please check it out. It would mean the world to me if you did and left a comment. Um, yeah. It didn't perform super well. Uh, and I think it may be a little just outside of my audience. Um, True. So the I mean, algor- it, it the could be, it could be that, I, you know, like. I noticed there's a huge drop off when I look at the analytics on this um, about 30 to 40 seconds in. And it's before I get into um, the actual video. The actual video. So like. I've lost almost half of the people at like a minute. Right. And you can see I'm still deliberating on things. Right. So hindsight, maybe I should have just gone into it a little bit faster. Sure. Um, And then I don't even tell the audience until one minute, 46 seconds that I'm going to have it done by the end of the night. Right. But the good thing about this graph is that it isn't a just drop down completely. Like once I get people to watch at least three minutes, they seem to stick around to the end. Right. But this is a bad, by the way, if you're not watching the video, I'm looking at my analytics. So if you want to look at my back end of YouTube. Oh yeah, this is an audio format, isn't it? <laughs> but you can see on the retention graph that I just have lost the majority of the audience and I only have 30% left mm-hmm. and they watch to the end. Uh, if you look at a Mr. Beast graph, it's like he has a dip here, but then it stays like at like 60, 50% all the way to the end. Wow. Which is ideal, obviously. Right. Um, so you're, inevitably, you're going to have a drop off right at the beginning because people click on videos and they didn't mean to. They immediately click away or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, that's normal. But I'm yeah. losing half of my audience, though, 30 seconds in. Right. And so I had a, I just had a hard time trying to figure out the story because I, I did want to tell this story of like 
I ordered an expensive camera and then I got, I, I was trying to shoehorn, like, how do I fit these bad cameras in? Right. Cause we didn't have the foresight. It was just like, I'm just, sh- I just am shooting it. Yeah. There was no reason why I did. Although that could have been the reason because <laughs> we, cause we can't. I guess, <laughs> I guess I should. Yeah. I mean, we could have, I could have just thought of that. Yeah. We should have talked about it. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> There's the next one. There's always the next one. Absolutely. And then you did something else uh, last week. Uh, you went to Vid Summit. I sure did. Yeah. Tell me about that. So Vid Summit 2022 uh, happened this last week mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And Vid Summit is kind of like um, VidCon, except better and more focused f- for specifically for YouTubers. Right. Um, I think, I don't think there was a single like TikTok creator or... Like, I think there was maybe a Facebook person there, mm-hmm. but, um, and there was a guy who used to work for Instagram that had a lot of insight into reels, but, um, it was really a YouTuber conference. It's owned by Daryl Eves who wrote a book called YouTube formula and he has billions of views under his belt and he's started many, many channels with over a million subs. Mm-hmm. Then of course, Mr. Beast is co-owner as well. Naturally. And Sean Duras, which is also another big creator and he owns space station, which is the, uh, it's a big YouTube kind of agency that a lot of our friends actually work with. Right. Um, so it was amazing. And I, you know, I don't really know where else, to, how much you guys are interested in hearing all the details, but I'll share some of my little nuggets. Yeah. And some of the best moments. Share the highlights. So first off, um, if you've been watching YouTube this year, there was a guy who really blew up. His name is Ryan Trahan. And you know, if again, I think a lot of our audience may be in the camera gear space, so they may not have discovered him. Right. I think if you're if you're an artist or you have any interest in YouTube, you should study and look at what he did this year. He did a series called Penny Across America in 30 Days, mm-hmm. and he literally started in California with a penny. And the concept is is he trades up, and as he trades things up. He buys flight tickets to go to the next state, and then he does tasks to make money. Mm-hmm. So it's a very like scrappy kind of self-employed idea of like, w- sir, will you trade this penny for a pin? And then he gets a pin, and then he's like, sir, would you buy this pin for a dollar? And he right. gets a dollar, and then it's like, all you know, could I buy a water bottle? I'm selling a water bottle for two dollars. You know, I'll have two water bottles. Uh, two dollars for a water bottle. Like mm-hmm. he literally just. Starts with a penny and trades all the way up to maybe like 50 to 100 bucks each day. And then he'll use that money to buy a plane ticket or a bus ride. Um, And it's a great idea. Um, But he basically created like he really kind of took what Mr. Beast has done, which is have a good concept and a good retention based story. Mm -hmm. Retention as in you want to wait, you want to watch to the end to see if he accomplishes the goal. Right. But he spread it out over 30 days and each video itself had its own retention goal. And there was all sorts of dips and turns. Like if somebody, he was also, uh, it was also a fundraiser for Feeding America. Right. And he raised millions of dollars for that. And um, there was incentives. Like if you donate a certain amount, he would have to start over from one penny. And so, you know, Mr. Beast did that like twice where he forced... Mr. You know, Beast did it. Yeah, he was no like... No shot. Yeah, he was like, uh, I want to see your reset, Ryan. Here's 50 grand. You yeah. Know, he donated 50 grand to... Or I think it's 10 grand. If you donate more than $10,000, he would reset. Wow. 
but it's all donation based. Like Ryan didn't keep any of that. It was like purely for this purpose. Yeah, it goes for the charity. That being said, he has made, I think like, you know, three to $400,000 a month off of just ad revenue wow. from the series. But he spoke, uh, he was the first speaker of the event and it was really amazing to hear him speak because he just has a great positive message. Right. And he basically said, throughout the years, I have followed other YouTubers. I've always wanted to be a YouTuber and I just mimicked what I saw and I realized that it's a it's a type of content that was popular in the past and he's like, hopefully it isn't anymore, but will always probably exist, which is exploitative content an exploitative uh, creator, meaning uh, pranks or, um, you know, getting a lot like material items and and talking about, I bought a Ferrari, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, Exploiting the audience and or people in the video. Or yeah, he, even Ryan himself had a reaction channel Mm -hmm. and he would just find funny things and make fun of it. And it's sort of exploiting, you know, circumstances that may be bad, somebody getting hurt. Then again, you know, AFV and stuff like that. That's that's all ex- exploitive as well. And people are usually willing to Except do it. people submit that, so. Yeah, and I think it, it can that's be willing. done. I think all that stuff can be done tastefully, but it's really just the the overall um, kind of posture of the content. Mm-hmm. And he said last year he changed he completely shifted his focus to make it redemptive content is what he said. So, he wants to learn a lesson throughout the story or someone else learns a lesson or like there's a change. Like a moral? A moral. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. There's like an actual moral to the story. The viewer can come away feeling like, oh man, yeah, I feel really good about that. Like, man, that guy makes me feel great. Like, mm-hmm. I need to be more positive or I need to be more confident or whatever. Right. <clears throat> and it totally changes it changed his whole channel. And that was really his main message is like, we need to be focusing on creating redemptive content. And as a Christian myself, it you know, I, he's using these words, um, you know, the toil of uh, exploitive content. Very Christianese words. Yeah, I was like, this guy is totally a believer. And sure enough, he is. And yeah. I got to meet him and uh, just very briefly, but I just told him, I was like, hey, man, I know you're a believer. I also am. And like hearing you be just super open about it and talk about it at your level is just super encouraging. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome that God is using you to like share this message with other creators and kind of like influence YouTube in a positive way. Right. And anyways, it was really inspiring to hear him talk. Um, I just wanted to share that because uh, basically his series garnered the same amount of views as Mr. Beast's biggest video in total. Right. So Mr. Beast, uh, and he he showed a graph and it was inspiring because the difference in amount of money spent is like dramatic. So Mr. Beast spent over $3 million on the Squid Games video. Right. There's about 500 contestants and a whole crew. Yeah. It took him two months to edit it and create it. And he got 240 million views. Right. Which... That's awesome. Well done. That's amazing. That is truly... Tip of the hat to yeah. you, sir. Good job, sir. Not too bad. Okay, we can we can improve those numbers. <laughs> but Ryan, just he's like, just for he's like, I'm not trying to slam on Mr. Beast. This is just for reference and to hopefully inspire you guys. Right. You know, my Penny Across America series took a month because it was a daily vlog and it right. happened in 30 days. And it cost a penny. <laughs> Technically. Technically. I'm he, sure it costs more, but yes. He paid... Um, 
he paid his his he had one editor and one shooter okay. so i'm sure they have a salary and, right salary and then food and travel so but we're, we're talking about maybe ten thousand dollars sure total, you sure know. which is still way cheaper <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and you know the all 30 of his videos when you tally up the views it's 220 million views which yeah, is nuts that's crazy so he is like if you think about cpm and like ad revenue and stuff like that um i think I don't know how it would work. He may make a little less because it's spread out over multiple videos or not. He may be making equal money in terms of ad rev compared yeah. to Mr. Beast. It, it might be comparable. It's it just the CPM, right? Yeah. So, I mean, who knows what they are? They're both clean creators. They don't have any like garbage yeah. in their content. They're very so. advertiser friendly. So mm-hmm. it's probably pretty high. Yeah. So um, that was real inspiring to me because it was just a really good idea with good execution. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. And, I think a lot of YouTubers now have kind of unfortunately um, fallen into the, well, Mr. Beast is like spending $3 million on a video. Plus, how yeah. how can I compete with that? You know, I'll never get to that level. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think, and another thing that Ryan said that was real inspiring too, is he says he views every video he makes as a gift. He's like, it's just a mind shift thing. He's like, it doesn't mean I'm not working hard and not trying to get a lot of views. It's just by shifting my focus on this video that I'm making is actually a gift to the audience. Right. Then I'm able to remove my identity from the success of the video. And whether it does well or not, I made it as good as I could. It's a gift to the audience. If you enjoy it, I'm really happy you enjoy it. If you right. don't, you know, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Cause it's a gift. Like yeah. take it or leave it, you know? Um, so anyways, his talk was real inspiring. Matthew Beam as well, who's a creator that surely a lot of you guys have never even heard of or seen. Um, but he had 100,000 subs last year at VidSummit. He met some people at VidSummit and then he spoke this year mm-hmm. on stage and he has 2.1 million subs and his videos are getting, you know, averaging between one to three million views per video. Not too bad. Not too bad. And um, he has worked for over 10 years to get to this point and just kind of reverse engineered YouTube. I know Hayden Hillier Smith is working with Matthew to help with his story mm-hmm. telling. Um, he just doesn't, you know, he didn't grow up in the filmmaking world. So a lot of these YouTubers, as when we watch their content, you can kind of feel like this is cringy and weird. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're making videos that are purely based on science. It's like, Every word that Mr. Beast is saying is engineered to keep you watching to the end. Right. Without any regard for story. <laughs> like ultimately, I think that is changing and there's a bit a bit of a shift. I've heard Jimmy, who's you know, Mr. Beast say that he is working on figuring out how to tell better stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Hayden is really pushing for that. He had a great talk as well about story and he kind of just broke down uh like Pixar's method and how we can apply that to YouTube content. Right. I like and that. With my video here, I almost ruined my best friend's wedding. I tried my best, you know, to to tell a good story with also keeping YouTube kind of in mind. Yeah. Um, and that's why I that's why I was excited to do this one because 
this girl that's the bride, she really is a legitimate friend. So there's mm -hmm. actually an actual, there's a real Yeah, you're not just making connection. up the story for the most part. You made up the Aria Alexa part. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, made that, part, that part was made up. But the, the fact that you're friends and you're mm -hmm. shooting the wedding for free. And if you did mess it up, mm -hmm. she probably would have been pretty mad at you. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. not disown you. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. we you got played up a little bit. But Yeah, yeah. Um, and also the, the kind of sitting on the couch scene, we did film that after the wedding. Yeah. Because I was like, I, I, I really need like just some really good drama. Right. And I think that was our first take because I've never worked on a reality TV show or anything yeah. like that. I know our, our friend Jeffrey has done a couple and Jevin used to work for uh, on, uh, I think he did the motorcycle one in California. Uh, oh. what's, what's the one with the hot rod? Oh, uh... I believe. Shoot, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't. I'm not a big reality. TV but it was fan, like a, it was a but that's cool. Big like History Channel. Roadhogs. Road. Yeah. Is that right? No, that's a movie. Oh. <laughs> it's also yeah, a character in uh, Overwatch. But uh, that was our first taste of kind of reality TV and see, like reality TV. They do they engineer moments, but then the reason it's called reality is because people do react. Yeah, they're creating in situations. Real life. But the situations are all created. And, and they're usually ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so that was our kind of taste of reality TV when we did that. But anyways, be on the lookout on the channel. More stuff to come. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see your next one. And I will continue to take the things I learned at VidSummit and apply it to the channel, which I was excited to, to go. So we got some rumors to talk about. Yeah, we're shifting gears now. Um, there's a few cameras on the horizon, a Canon camera, a Sony camera, and uh, even a Fuji camera that are being rumored to come out soonish and or be announced soonish. Yeah. So um, this is coming from Canon rumors. We got the EOS R100 potential yeah. rumor. Nothing special here. I think this is basically like an R7 or an R10 without an EVF. Yeah, it feels like it's going to... I mean, they say here it's going to be for like beginner vloggers. They're they're trying to, you know, they're still trying to break into the, hey, this is slightly better than an iPhone market, Yeah, I think, you know. So it'll probably have a tilt screen. Uh, no EVF, which is interesting. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I, mean, I guess people don't like EVFs. I personally love it. Um, but well, yeah, nothing price, crazy. You're saving money, so yeah, maybe it'll only be you know if it's like four ninety nine or something. Do you think they get it that cheap? I think it'll probably be like closer to eight hundred bucks. Well, the R10 is pretty cheap already. So and what does this, the R10 go for? Uh, nine seventy nine. So yeah, like I, maybe I would seven ninety nine. Yeah, I'm thinking seven ninety nine is that's my ballpark guess for the R100. You're probably right. Um, it's gonna have like a you know the the LCD. You know, the very angle touch screen is not going to be that great in terms of resolution, but it will have dual pixel AF this, uh, and a digit 10 processor. So those are really good things. 4K. 4K, you know, up to 30 FPS, which a lot of people, if they're doing vlogging and they're beginner, mm -hmm. they'll probably still only shoot 1080. Yeah, totally. Uh, and who knows what the 1080 specs will be. So it's definitely an interesting little camera um, for yeah. beginners. Like if you're looking to start up and you got less than a thousand bucks and you need a camera and a lens, this will probably be yeah. a solid option. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that Canon's kind of doing some boring like cameras right. in the RF lineup. Because up until this point, all the kind of rebel, all the Costco cameras. Costco cameras, yeah. Were... Um, were EF, EFS. They were the Rebels or the T8i. I don't even know how many numbers we're at now. Right. Um, so it's it's obvious to me that like this is not exciting to us as professionals. Right. But to a this, beginner. Is, this is a big news to a beginner right. and to the mass market. Sure. Remember when we went to CES and we met with a uh, Canon representative, we kind of talked about the M50 because we had a lot of success with the M50 videos. Right. And one of the Canon representatives said, 
that, yeah, you know, this was even, I think two years after it came out, he was like, that's still like our top seller. Yeah. I believe on, it too. On Amazon. So, and I bet it still is selling mm-hmm. like Grace is still today, which is nuts. That camera's like five years old. Yeah. Do not buy the M50. <laughs> not now. I mean, there's probably better, newer cameras on the horizon, even other platforms. Mm-hmm. Sony has some good options. Yeah. So. I think at this point, the ZV-E10 is the M50 replacement because it yeah, has continuous recording yeah. and it has 4K and all that stuff. It's so. a comparable price too. But who knows? We'll see what the R100 goes for. I mean, if they can... If they can put it with a lens, a solid-ish lens under a thousand bucks, it'll probably do very well, just like the M50 did. I would love to see more, and I've talked about this a lot, even on this podcast. I'd love to see more uh, EFS lenses or RFS. RFS, yeah. Um, Because now they've got this new R100, the R10, and the R7, and of course the C70. Right. But the, the the gap between the C70 and even the R7 is so massive. Yeah, I'm curious what they'll do if they'll if all their APS-C RFS lenses will be cheaper, mm-hmm. probably honestly to go with yeah. the R7 and then now the R100 whenever that releases. But it would be nice yeah. to see some nicer top end lenses. We uh, can <clears throat> this yeah. I'll save some of this talk for the main topic, but um, but yeah, it's like other companies do have really high quality crop sensor lenses. One of the benefits of having a crop sensor is the smaller, um, you, you can make smaller lenses than a right. full frame lens. So I just wish that so Canon would do that. Uh, Sony's done it, you know, Sigma, Tamron, and all those companies. And again, have. you know, they made a whole new mount, which means that, yeah, you can adapt all their old lenses, which they have a great lineup of EF lenses and EFS lenses. But it's like, if you want to use RF. RF or RFS and mm-hmm. future proof yourself. You just, there's just no options. Yet. Yeah. Except for that one little kit uh, zoom, that, yeah, which is pretty trashy. Yeah. I'm not a big fan. So moving on to a rumor that our audience may actually be interested in yeah. compared to the R100. Uh, this is definitely more premium. The Sony a7 R5. Um, that won't be confusing with the R5. No. In Canon. fact, it was confusing. You said, so I was like on my phone making a list of today's podcast. Yeah. And you're like, it's an R5. I was like, oh, there's a new R5 coming out. And yeah. you're like, no, no, the Sony A7R5. No, no, Sony's, Sony's got it going on. Have you ever used an A7R model before for video? Uh, Not for video. I used the R4 on the Sony camera camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not the condo one, the uh, the one back in 2019. And it was pretty cool. We used it for photos and astrophotography. The R model is just like, I think it, they, there's a little bit of sweet sauce on the sensor on that one. Yeah. Um, it, because it's so tuned for photography. Right. This is really their flagship photography camera. Mm-hmm. And the five, I can't believe they're on version five. I feel like they're, they've been putting one out almost every year, almost. Yeah, they're they're coming out. Well, I guess... No, it's been a while since the 4, Before. honestly. I reviewed the A7R 3, which was the very first version with the new body style, with the new batteries. Right. And it, I don't think they've really um, kind of navigated away from that design Mm-mm. very much no. over the years. Although, I, I don't know if this rumor is like if that's not probably a picture of it you know so yeah yeah who knows totally. what it'll actually look like it seems to be pretty early <laughs> on in the uh but it says rumor scale a7r5 um we should be seeing it around now. Uh, october november yeah new sensor 
mid 90s mid 90s which that means 90 megapixels the r has been touted always as the flagship high megapixel camera yeah not that it came out in the mid 90s uh different thing (laughs) yeah that'd be so cool if it was like a like a playstation uh gray kind of color oh, yeah and uh it, you know like original playstation original ps1 yeah. or yeah what's another thing like i remember dji made the um the mavic mini in that same color color tone i really like that they did, they did. um <clears throat> yeah and they like if they retrofied who if sony made like a true fuji like retro body i'd be down sony doesn't have much history in retro cameras at all right no. they kind of jumped on the scene later they'd have to in just the game so they engineer could, it <laughs> they could just make it up i mean i'd be down for it it would be kind of funny if they had like a playstation styled <laughs> yeah. camera because of and like the buttons on the back were like playstation buttons and stuff yeah that'd be, <laughs> that'd be hilarious that'd be kind of hilarious yeah or even if they did a limited run of like a P- playstation version of the a7r or something yeah um, like they release a hundred units or yeah. something they sell them for like a charity or something it's a very like a thing to do yeah it's so it's so dumb it's like why don't other companies like canon sony like do the limited run like special like well designed and things that are designed to be beautiful that's yeah. my biggest gripe with sony and canon is like they're very practical they're, just, they're they're great in terms of function but they just they don't inspire me to like and that's why i have fujifilm yeah yeah. Speaking of Fujifilm, uh, <laughs> the, uh, this is, again, early rumor, just like the A7R4, or 5, rather. Uh, the X-T5 is uh, rumored to be announced here pretty soon. Uh, I'm really excited for the X-T5. I have the X-T4. I will definitely be buying the <laughs> X-T5. Uh, and I don't know anything about it, other than that it's rumored to have a 40-megapixel sensor, okay. which is pretty nice. Uh, but is it won't that... be a stack sensor like the X-H2S. Um, it will be a, just a regular sensor. Uh, that'll be mm. to keep the cost down. I wonder if the XH2, the one that just came out, yeah. um, is that the same sensor, you think? Fuji does that a lot where they use the same sensor. Uh, it could be, unless... I don't know if the XH2 is a stack sensor. Uh, I, don't, I think the S is, and the XH2 may not be. So it could be the same sensor. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that, yeah, yeah, this is a 40 megapixel APS-C sensor with yeah. 8K video. There you go. So that'll probably be it. Um, we can probably extrapolate that it'll be similar. Just a different form uh, function and probably a little bit cheaper. Um, Which would be great. I mean, to, if especially if it can do 8K or something. I mean, that'd yeah. be interesting. Honestly, Fujifilm's been, you know, kind of kicking butt lately in terms of like the specs yeah. and the image. And all that stuff. The problem with Fujifilm uh, is a lot of people don't like APS-C. And then also, I haven't tested the X-H2 or the S, um, but I imagine they probably have similar autofocusing issues Mm -hmm. as before. It would be interesting to get my hands on one and try it, but... It's so funny that they're selling a fan that you can buy as an accessory to put on the back to help with overheating. At least they're like addressing it. And they're conscious giving... of the issue. I mean, an 8K sensor in that small of a body, yeah, you're bound to have some heating issues. But um, I honestly, I wouldn't be opposed to switching to the Fuji system if, yeah, if the autofocus was a little bit more reliable and the IBIS was better. Yeah, I for video. I would love to get my. I might have to rent an XH2S and just give it a test. I think the S is is really appealing. Yeah. As a um, video I honestly don't think it's that expensive for what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, the specs on it are crazy. Um 
they're crazy good. I mean, it's open gate, 6.3K open gate, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. Essentially, you're reading out the full sensor instead yeah. of just getting the 16 by 9 image or whatever. Um, got full size HDMI. Full size HDMI. It's got a new, uh, new F-Log. So before we hit F-Log, now we have F-Log 2. Uh, and the color science in Fujifilm is already incredible. So yeah. I would imagine, haven't played with it, that it would be very nice to mess with. Bigger um, battery. Bigger battery. Um, yeah, it just seemed like... It this is like our like true a, pro Fuji camera. They've never really done this. Um, I guess, no, technically the X-H1 was an attempt but this at it. the S model here with the ProRes and mm. the new oh yeah and also ProRes this is a true like video centric camera which we've kind of always wanted from Fuji and I also heard that the um, resolution in the EVF has actually been doubled wow because uh, from the XT4 had like a three million dot mm. uh, EVF and this is closer to six so. so this really is like a like okay guys we're gonna just go for it and make a new pro body yeah um and i guess you know the thing that people are gonna have the biggest problem with again is that it's not full frame um Look so all, all those the custom buttons there's seven custom modes holy cow that's kind of <laughs> cool yeah i wouldn't be able to remember all of them no <laughs> but i, yeah, I guess probably you, use three of them yeah 24p yep. 30p 1080 60 120 240 yeah pro res there, there's probably a lot of different <laughs> options there if i could remember all of them. yeah it's like, oh man, I need more. Right. <laughs> now I need 10 custom <laughs> yeah. modes. That's cool. So, um, um, so yeah, but, but uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the X-T5. Well, yeah, the so. thing is, is that there's not too much to talk about. It's just that it, they think it'll be announced in the next uh, month or so. And yeah. then it'll probably release uh, in the springtime um, if the X-T4 is anything to go off of. So cool. Um, pretty exciting stuff. Um, if you're into Fujifilm, if you're a Fuji juicer. <laughs> uh yeah and, uh, you'll be stoked to hear that um so let's move on to our main topic which is another camera that is in the APS-C line yeah which is made by sony the fx30 wow the fx30 it's here uh it looks just like an fx3 because yeah. it's the same body um but it's uh 1798 body only <laughs> it's a crazy APS-C. price it's cheap cheap for what it is it's cheaper than the fuji xh2 that we were just looking at it is yeah um fuji's not, gonna have to probably compete not with that. the same specs as the no xh2s the xh2s has a few more features but what sony has that fujifilm doesn't is amazing uh ibis mm-hmm. uh, with the active steady and all that stuff i mean it's incredible and then of course super reliable autofocus yes um, and their lens lineup. And their lens lineup. Fuji has a good lens lineup as well, but Sony takes the cake for sure. Um, I think this is a 4K sensor, right? Nope, it's, it's a 6K sensor. So it's 20. Is it? it's, oh, so it's actually. Uh, it's a 6K to 4K down res. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is the same as the um, XH2S. Right. Uh, close to. It's the exact same. In fact, I sort of think it's the same sensor because Sony makes Fuji sensors as well. Oh, interesting. So there's it's, a there's um, a theory that this is the same sensor as the... Yeah, so it's maybe actually a little more than 6K then. They're just saying 6K because it's closer. Because Fuji's touting it as a 6.3K or whatever. Well, yeah, so so Sony is... Um, it's a 26.1 megapixel sensor. Yeah. But when you window it and crop it for 16 by 9 it's 6k to 4k got it but fuji is enabling the ability to use the full 
sensor, sensor in the open gate. Got it. Which is where you get the 6.2. Oh, interesting gate. that it would be the same sensor. I did um, not hear that. That's cool. Yeah. So the biggest kind of downfall of this would be, number one, it if you want to count APS-C. I don't think it is. I think it can actually be seen as an advantage in some ways. Um, number two is the rolling shutter performance based on the reviews that I've seen and the footage I've seen. Mm -hmm. The rolling shutter on this camera is not great. Okay. Um, like average or worse than it's average? average. Okay. It's not like, I oh my gosh, that. this is like a, it's not like the old Sony cameras that were just all over the place. Right. Um, but the FX3 or which is also just an A7S in a different body right. um, has wonderful performance in that way. Right. Um, another downside is when you go into 4K 120, uh, it crops in. Yeah. So it's already an APS-C crop and it's a 1.6 crop on top of that. For wow. The 120. So basically what it's doing is instead of doing the 6K down res, it's just cropping in on the sensor to just a 4K Got because it. it probably doesn't have the processing power. Right. And then... One thing that I really like that they did this, and I hope I, I hope other people learn from this, um, is this really is truly a video-centric camera. It's in the cinema line. Right. So they removed the uh, mechanical shutter, mm. which allows them to make the whole thing much simpler in terms of moving parts. Like the size of it. Um, well, it's, it's actually the exact same body as the FX3. They're just reusing the same housing. Oh, okay. But um, so there's less things to break. But then it also, you, you remove, the costs come down to us as well in terms of price point. Hmm. So by removing a mechanical shutter, which obviously I don't know anything about engineering a camera, but right. I would imagine making sure that the shutter works at the proper shutter speeds, going up and down exactly how it should properly, is probably an expensive and intricate and tiny little thing to deal with. Right. So they remove that. So this does take raw stills, which I wish my C70 did that. I wish they would just even it though doesn't it doesn't do that. No, the C70, really? all Canon cinema cameras have the ability to take a raw picture, but right. they don't give it to you. It's just video only. Hmm. Um, so at least they're allowing you to switch to a photo mode and take photos, but it is as if you're using electronic um, shutter. Shutter. Yeah in a traditional mirrorless camera. Okay. Um, so obviously that means any rolling shutter that you would see in the image is going to be in a photo as well if it's a moving object. Right. But for most cases, and for somebody who's primarily a YouTuber, mm -hmm. all we need is just the ability to take a thumbnail. Right. So, um, and if you're, you know, doing a lot of online content and you're doing maybe some photos for Instagram here and there, although you shouldn't be taking photos for Instagram. Instagrams are reels. Uh, account we don't need to talk about that instagram isn't for photos it's for reels yeah instagram instagram bothers me now um so be, because of all those things the the cost has been brought down significantly i think sony is just kind of purposely trying to you know be kind of bullish in the market right because they can because they can um, and then because it's the same FX3 body, that wonderful little XLR handle works with it as well. Yeah. Um, and you can buy it with it, but it, the, the cost goes up significantly. It's it's literally a $400 handle. Right. And I don't think it's worth $400, personally. No, uh, I'd agree with that. Because but I, guess I can just use an external recorder. If you already have the FX3 with the handle, what's great is... Exactly. I mean, this is really... Like, this is going to be a great beginner camera. Like, if you're trying to mm -hmm. get into the Sony line, specifically in video, this is a great option. It just really is. I think this is better uh, than buying a Blackmagic camera. Um, however, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, probably. I don't like black magic that much, honestly. I mean, like, this I, I just a, don't like this, the form factor of black magic. It really bothers me. Yeah, this is a better form factor. You actually have autofocus. You have a flip screen. Right. The image quality is on par. Yeah. And the FX3 image quality is great. I saw some videos with the FX30 and the FX3, and it seemed very comparable. Absolutely. Um, the ability to match them is going to be great. This is going to be a great B camera. I saw mm-hmm. a lot of people talking about that. Absolutely. Like, I already have an FX3. Instead of buying two more FX3s Which or one more FX3, I can just buy one of these. The lenses work. Top handle works. Um, I saw someone talking about the fact that like this is now going to become their like top down camera, mm-hmm. which is great um, if you can afford totally. it for that. So uh, it's it, perfect. It's a great. It's a great, perfect little camera. Um, there's not really a. I don't think there's a solid competition to this camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of uniquely placed, which is probably good on Sony's part because even the R7 from mm-hmm. Canon, I don't think that that's uh, the R7 is a little cheaper than this by about two hundred bucks, but it's it's just not a comparable camera. They're doing no. different things. This has the EVS. This is feels more like I shoot photos and videos and I need something in between. Sony's very much going for the video market. I do like how the R7 has that little, like you go to the on switch here yeah. and then you take photos and then you go over to this video mode. So it's like it too. nice to switch between the two, but... Um, and the EVF was decent. I, I had it for about two months and I like the R7. For it was what nice, it is, but, but this is obviously more up our alley. Yeah. And the other thing that I really like that if we're talking about Canon versus, um, Sony yeah, mine as well is Sony does have a really solid APS-C lens lineup. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the conversation would be completely different if Canon had, a comparable uh, lens system. Yeah. So for example, so Sony makes a great lineup of APS-C lenses. Right. Um, for example, often the problem with using a crop lens, uh, crop body is you can't get a wide enough uh, shot. Right. You know, it's hard to get super wide uh, lenses because mm-hmm. usually lenses are made for full frame mm-hmm. and typically 24 millimeters is kind of like wide enough or you could buy like a 16 to 35. Right. But even 16 sometimes isn't even wide enough for a uh, crop sensor. Right. Well, Sony makes an incredible and not only that, but it's a 2.8 on a full frame. Yeah. Sony makes this wonderful little 11 millimeter prime. It's a 1.8 aperture. It's 500 bucks. Right. 1.8 is super fast and it's teeny, teeny, tiny. Yeah. Like super teeny, tiny. Look at that. It's awesome. Um, And then, you know, if you want to zoom, they make a 10 to 20. I know Armando talked about that one. That's a good lens. It's got a power zoom and yeah. the FX30. Power zoom is cool. I didn't think I'd like it, but when I played around with it a little bit, it's kind of fun. Well, it's kind of a nice, like a like, camcorder. humor based. Yeah. You could, yeah. for punchlines, oh, it yeah. would be great for like, I make a joke and then you do the digital zoom. Yeah. That'd be really funny. Yeah. You can do that in post-production, but this obviously gives you the lens compression, which exactly. is Exactly. And then this is super teeny tiny as well. So, um, the, the 10 to 24, the 10 to 20, um, and then they actually made bad reviews actually, they actually, yeah, it has really bad reviews actually. I noticed that. Um, I didn't mind the lens though, but then they also make like your, your standard 24 to 70. It's a little bigger, but it's still way smaller than, um, you know, a full frame option and 16 to 55 is actually what you want for a crop sensor. That is, uh, technically 24 to 82 and it's an F 2.8 and it's small. Right. So, that's like to me personally i get really weird about like the uh the size i love like the i love the idea of a a bigger body to my lens because it balances better in my Hmm, hands interesting i like having a smaller lens that doesn't just cause a bunch of front heaviness Mm -hmm. to it 
Um, then you hate the 28 to 70 by Canon. Oh, yeah. It's too big. It's too... <laughs> it's a too chunker, big. honestly. It's too, it is too big. It is. Um, but then if you get outside of the Sony world and switch to Sigma and Tamron, right. they also have... Look at this... The, so we just looked at the the Sony sixteen to right, whatever, which was pretty expensive, which is pretty expensive, and it was a little big. Yeah. Look at how tiny this lens is. It is absurd how and small. If you're it is. wondering what we're looking at, it's the eighteen to fifty millimeter by is this Tamron. This is a Sigma that's lens. Sigma. So you've okay. got the great Sigma optics. It's and an that's f two point eight. F two point eight. So that was pretty solid. This lens. is and this the equivalent of this is twenty seven to seventy five. So I would be happy compromising on a little bit of extra less zoom range. Right. And to you get save, such a small lens. Save five hundred bucks. And too. you save money. And it's Sigma. And Sigma has great optics. Oh yeah. Um so I love that. And then um, Sigma also makes, and these have been around forever, these wonderful little, um, There's a it's a trifecta of lenses here. Right. There's a 16, a 30, and a 56. They're all F1.4. Wow, and you get it all for a thousand bucks. You can get all three well, of these. It's on sale right now on B&H. So, hey, if you're looking for a solid set of lenses for your new FX30, <laughs> um, this might be a, a solid pick right so, here. So yeah, they're all f1.4. These are also small and compact. Of course, These, you also have the uh, 18 to 35. Well, you'd have to use an adapter, which would be... Too they don't have an E-mount? No. You'd have to get an E-mount to E to EF or something. And then it, it's it, too oh, big. I didn't know it was EF only. It's also way too big. It like, is a heavy lens, but it's a beautiful lens. Yeah. And then Tamron also makes an 11 to 20, 2.8. Not to mention Sony, even though these are full frame lenses, Sony also makes a whole suite of these tiny little primes as well. So even though these are designed for full frame, right. um, these are still small. So there's a 40 millimeter 2.5 um, that can go on an FX3. I like how that looks a lot. It's really it clean. Looks almost like a Leica or something. And that's the A7C. I do like the color of the FX30. Yeah. The FX3. It's like, the PlayStation gray a little bit. <laughs> uh, not, well, not quite. It's a, it's much, a space gray. Not, much nicer gray than that. It has like a bluish tone to it. It's like a space gray. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very nice, I, I will say. It's very nice. Very nice. Um, so, <laughs> sorry about the screaming. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah, I don't know if that picks up. But uh, basically, let me get back to our FX30. So basically, like I, at first when I saw this, I was like, "Screw it, I'm I'm selling I'm selling the Canon. I'm buying. I could buy two of these for the price of my Canon setup with yeah. with some Lenses. like with a zoom and with some primes." Yeah. Um, I'm still like I'm still pumping the brakes a little bit, but honestly, it kind of makes sense to be honest the low light's still good mm -hmm. you get the color science i would rather have two of these than one fx3 i think because yeah. um the way we work we just have a lot of angles a lot this type of setup that's what's happening right here yeah for example um i mean heck i might even be able to if i sold the olympus and then those two cameras and all my lenses i might even be able to afford three of these right in addition to a couple lenses. So you're giving up an EVF though, which I don't know how you feel about that, but to me, that's a deal breaker. Mm -hmm. I love having an EVF. I use it all the time, especially when I shoot outside. Um, I like having it. Now the screen on these are fine, which is great, but <coughs> I just, I feel like, I don't know why they're not making an EVF attachment. Yeah. Like it feels like so obvious, like they could just do that, but they don't, which would bring me to what we talked about before, which was the a seven four, which I personally think 
would be a more useful camera to myself. So also, get, it is full frame. You could get one of these and then two of those, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, and it'll probably match just fine and uh, all that stuff. But yeah, I don't know. To me, that that's still a, that's the, still a problem to me. A7 IV is a little bit more money. It's 2500 versus 1790 yeah. Um But... Uh, that might be the the move is you get an a7 IV to be your primary stills camera slash EVF camera. Yeah. And then you get an FX 30 as a B cam to that. Or hear me out. I keep my R5 because uh, it's fine. And uh, and then for my personal setup, I get an X-T5 when that comes there you out. Go. <laughs> See, that to me sounds like a better option. Um, yeah, maybe it's like I said, if I, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, if I do get a Sony, like an addition to my Canon, it wouldn't be a substitute. I probably would pick up the a seven four. I, I personally like the a seven four a lot. All that to say the FX 30, I think is really exciting for our industry. I think oh, yeah. it's a great price point. Um, it's a wonderful, so many people ask me, you know, what do you recommend me get? Like, and that's a that's a that's a loaded question, uh, and the answer usually changes depending on your budget. Yes, but if you are looking in the two thousand dollar range ish, and you're primarily a video shooter, and you're primarily a video shooter, it's going to be hard to recommend anything besides that. I know it's it really, really crazy. Is. Um, for me personally, if money's no object, I think still the FX three is a better camera. Obviously, I mean right. it's better in low light. It has less limitations for video. It's also full frame. Sure. But um, it's hard to beat this price point. And for somebody like myself, I, I, I kind of obsess about like, you know, getting a good deal. And mm-hmm. I think this is a really good deal. <laughs> yeah, I would totally agree. Sony's, Sony's coming out with some, some amazing stuff lately. Mm-hmm. They really are. They're doing a great job over there. Uh, just make an electronic EVF and we'll talk, okay? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, um, electronic EVF, that's redundant. An electronic... <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, an attachment, an EVF attachment. You get what I mean. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of loud. I, I failed. Obligatory soundbite section. You suck. You suck. And then. Uh, What's up, everybody? They <laughs> got a little Peter in there. Come yeah, a little gear guy. That's me. Yeah, that's true. So transitioning to um, just a random uh, post. So we're transitioning now to our post show, which yeah. has no post show, guys. Which has no rules or uh, you know camera related needs. No. Um, just us hanging, chilling with you guys. Hopefully. Only- I only have one thing listed. Do you want to talk about it? Or is there anything else that you would want to talk about? I got the Apple Watch Ultra. Yes. That's yeah. really interesting, actually. Uh, it's I, I am not utilizing this thing to its full potential. Let me tell you. Uh, I plan on it eventually. But as of currently, I've had it for about a week now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's awesome. It looks awesome. I'm totally used to the fact that it's mega huge compared to my old watch. But now it like... It just looks normal to me. Yeah. After about a week, so if you're it worried about that, um, I got the green. I think it's the Alpine uh, band, is what it's called. Can uh, I hold it? Can you take it off? And yeah, let me hold totally. it. Totally. <laughs> Can I hold it, please? I want to see how heavy it is. Mm-mm. There you go. It's um, not. It's not as heavy as you think. Titanium. No, it's the titanium, so it's super lightweight. It they they tout a sapphire crystal. Um, oh, I cover my face. 
so that you guys can see it. Uh, they tout a uh, sapphire crystal for the face so that it doesn't scratch. I question that a little bit, if I'm being honest, because they also claim a sapphire crystal for the back of the cameras on the iPhones. And uh, who's the guy that tears things apart uh, on YouTube? He like that's what he does. He does like durability tests and all that stuff. Oh, I can't remember uh, his name. Yeah, the name of the channel. About, but... Anyways, he he does a test where he takes like the different hardness scale scratching tools and he scratches the mm-hmm. at the glass and it always inevitably scratches before with like Sony's uh, sapphire shield or whatever they call it mm-hmm. um, uh, before sapphire crystal should. So hopefully this is real sapphire mm-hmm. crystal, but. Um, yeah, I, I like it a lot. The Alpine band is really cool. Um, this is mine now. <laughs> and then now it's Dave. So Dave now owns the, uh, how do you feel after owning it for, um, uh, 30 seconds? I feel great. <laughs> yeah, I feel good. Um, I will say the, the biggest thing that I've noticed in the fact that, you know, again, I'm not using it how I should be is the battery life. Yeah. It's awesome. I like never have to charge it. Wow. Um, I did a nine... I did a nine hour drive the other day and I didn't charge it the day before. I didn't charge it during the drive and I didn't do it on the way back home. So it's like three days Wow! and it still had plenty of charge. Like I could have gone a while longer. That's awesome. Uh, and that's not in low power mode. I could switch it into low power mode and get even more time with it. So it's like, you know, before Ooh, I love that red mode. Yeah. The red mode. I don't know if y'all can see that, but if you, turn the dial it goes into essentially a mode that won't be as bright if you're out at night and you don't want to like disturb everyone with this massive flashlight essentially you can put it into the red light wow it kind of looks so cool too though it does um so the battery life on it is actually incredible uh i'll have to get it in the water at some point and try it out i haven't answered any phone calls on it to see if the microphones are any good uh lots of things to to still play around with and figure out but yeah, it's, it's as big as like you could. This could be like your primary phone. It's so the screen's so big. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, it is kind it. of expensive at eight hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. uh, For the this market though, that's pretty common, isn't it? But yeah, it's a watch. I mean, people who buy watches, they'll spend ten thousand dollars on a watch that just tells time and then gets out of time over time so like you know it, it for 800 yeah. bucks you know this thing is kind of incredible and then once of course it gets more utilized for what it's actually supposed to do as the weather gets colder and i actually take it hiking or backpacking and yeah who knows what else um i can actually see how the full potential is with this thing but for now one weekend yeah uh 10 out of 10 i love it it looks it actually really does look great on you and um the way the clothes that you wear match yeah, I wear a style. lot of hiking clothes. So, I mean, you know, the green band I like a lot. I thought the green would clash with the orange button because the button's always orange. Uh, but actually, I like it. Looks good. It's a nice little touch. That You know, it's funny you, you mentioned the time thing. Like, uh, that was one of the features that they touted with the first Apple Watch. It's like yeah. the most accurate timepiece ever made. Yeah. Because it's connected to a satellite. So, it's like always, you know. Correct. It's always exactly correct. Um and uh yeah although have you seen the thing where like people have two iphones next to each other and they'll be like one minute off oh no i haven't yeah i don't know i don't know what that's about so i i just want to end this podcast with a little tangent or question sure i've i've been obsessing a little bit probably more than i should when i've been traveling and stuff when i just have time to kill about leicas yeah 
Yeah, you're you're full into the Leica research right now. <laughs> I'm wondering if you ever pull the trigger, if you'll just research it forever. Well, I did sell. <laughs> I know. I did sell. Um, the, so I have heard a couple of um, people talk about how Leicas either pretty much retain their value or go up in value. That's true. Um, so even if you purchase a Leica and you decide you don't want it, um, chances are you won't lose much or it may even be worth more. Okay. Um, so there's always that. So it's sort of like as long as I don't destroy the camera or it gets stolen. <laughs> yeah. Which has happened. Uh, Keep it under uh, lock and key. Yeah. Then it's sort of like, here's some money. I'll just put it aside. And then if I ever need it, it's there and I can yeah. take it back. <laughs> right. It's almost like like us holding your money for just a little bit of time. Yeah. Or a lot of time. So there's, um, so I, I just sold one of my stills cameras, the other Olympus. You did? Oh, Yeah, nice. it sold for about $800, which is great. Right on. Um, which is right in line with what it's worth. Yeah. And then I have another Olympus camera, which is worth more. It's worth about... 1500 to 2000 ish, depending on how the bidding would go. I don't, I'm not sure. Sure. Um, I do like the images that I take with that though, quite a bit. Um, and it's very easy to use in terms of the autofocus, right. whereas Leicas are very hard to use and you miss a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's, it's an art piece almost more than it's a functional camera. Yeah. And I, I like the, the process of it is just very simple and minimal. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of people, purists, who actually say that any Leica digital camera is not a, a like like a true Leica because right. the pure Leica experience is a film Leica camera. Right. Because you have aperture on the on the lens, you have shutter speed on the dial, and your ISO is whatever film you put in it. So you want to know that's what I think get the film i think i agree <laughs> because digital man like digital it changes so much with the time and the tech and like what made a like a camera interesting wasn't the image yeah right it was never the image because it was the film the film you put in was the image so you got kodak portrait 100 or whatever you, you decide to stick in there yeah um but what yeah you're right it was the process it was the feel it was the handcraftedness mm -hmm. of it the that made it, of it the mechanicalness of it that made it interesting i've held plenty of digital leicas like through people who have owned them i'm never that impressed if yeah. i'm being honest well, uh compared to the price and i've been looking at i've been toiling over a lot of the images from different models like the original leica m and the m9 had a ccd sensor which a lot of people say is okay very film-like but it's very slow um and it's super old technology like we're talking 2004 technology yeah and i, I think at that point like it's awful i wouldn't recommend getting it like the modern ones like you got the what's the is it the 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 q2 well, the so Is that yeah, what it's called? I, I was uh, kind of like, well, the Q2 might be a better, more practical solution. But at that point, I'm like, I'd rather just keep my Olympus because that's even the Olympus is better at autofocus. Right. And so, like, I, I kind of feel like I need a like a, tr a practical digital camera right. to take pictures of the kids. Yeah. Uh, no, just absolutely. Plain and simple. Absolutely. Um, but 
the for those special occasions whipping out the Leica or like if we're going on a trip like say we're going to Disney World or something having a Leica around my neck and like taking some really cool and just being an absolute target (laughs) in Disney for people to be like that guy is the guy we're robbing yeah you're right that's a great idea (laughs) yeah you're right that's probably not a good idea yeah I would be so afraid to take that thing out in public especially like if I wanted to do like a photo shoot downtown Nashville or something Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's just, you never know who's, who's looking at you. But there's, there's so, okay. So now I agree. I think even the only digital Leica that is any good is the newest one. It's, it actually has great color, great features. Yeah. The M11, but it's $8,900. See, that's, that's my fundamental issue is I feel like for $8,000 with a Leica, with a digital sensor, there's so many amazing other options that do it better. Absolutely. That are just not in a Leica housing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't even touch that. Cool. I agree. Um, and it, 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 and those, all the digital Leicas do, um, go down in value. They, they way faster than the film. In fact, film has gone up. Right. Um, so, okay. So now if we're removing that, sure. I, which I agree with actually, then it's the film world of Leica. So now there's two options. You can you can buy a new or newer film camera. They still make new. They actually still make the MA and the MP brand new. So you really? can you can buy the MP. Now this is not. That. You can actually find them uh, cheaper. Uh, on I've actually found some that are quite a bit cheaper, but this is a brand spanking new Leica film camera. Wow. Handmade in Germany, yeah, 100% mechanical. It's back ordered. That's amazing. At $5,595, a film camera is back ordered. That's, so there's, that's incredible. There's nothing electronic in this. There's nothing that will break in terms of electronics. No, there's plenty of stuff to break. There's lots of gears and <laughs> yeah. things. But this is made, this is really the ultimate, like, this that's, camera. That's pre-lens. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wow. But you can find these for about three thousand used, used. Okay. Um, and even I found some in China that are around thirty-five new. Okay, um, so that's the MA, which so, is a beautiful looking camera. Yeah. So this it is, really is the MA is the love letter to the M3, which was the camera that I had originally. Right. Um, there's not even a light meter on this, so there's no battery at all. Yeah. So you'd have to use an external light meter. Um, but it's the purest form of like I actually, film. I actually like external light meters with film cameras because I have the Canon A1 mm-hmm. uh, and it has that inside and battery and the whole nine yards. But I personally, like I, I just have an app on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I like using that as my light meter because I feel yeah. like it just feels more reliable because film's expensive now. Yeah. So like I want to make sure that what I'm shooting is going to look marginally good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like having the external uh, light meter. It also comes in a nice matte black, but I like the silver. I think the silver when the MA particularly looks quite nice. And then this is the MP, which is only 200 or like $200 more. The only difference is it comes with a light meter and it's got a more 90s vibe with the leather, which I don't like. Yeah. It doesn't look as pretty. I think the other one looks quite a bit nicer. Even the top um, of this one here, the MP, if um, you guys are not hearing that, you're hearing this, but you're not seeing it, the Leica MP, uh, it's still a gorgeous camera, but it's it's just not as nice, I don't think. It's a little more practical because it has a light meter in it, but that's, that's all it has in comparison. And so I'm like, because this camera 
the the M3 was what my great uncle used to document my father's childhood. Right. And that was what was passed down to me. And then it was stolen. Right. And this is Leica's modern. They made this in 2014 and they're still making them. Um, this is truly like a Rolex of cameras because it's handmade in Germany. It's right. all brass, which nothing is made in brass anymore. Um, it, you're, 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 you're spot on with the Rolex comparison because it is so much more expensive than it ever should be. Yet, you still kind of are like, I could, I could, I could buy that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it goes up in value or it retains its value. Yeah. What about, um, speaking of retaining its value, obviously this is brand spanking new, but what if you did buy a Leica M3 from the seventies or yeah, whatever? So, like, what does that so look the, like these days? Are this they is, more? The, yeah. The, so this is my problem that I'm dealing with. So I can, so let's say I can find one of these for 3,500. Right. Okay. So the comparable. So like, we're talking like a 2019 uh, yeah. So it's a couple years old, MA. Yeah, so it's it's got more modern parts. It's cleaner, probably, because yeah. it's only a couple years old. Probably way more functionally sound. So th- for $3,500, I get a newer version, which... And Leica has actually tweaked this as well. It's, it really is the... This is all the Leica it's like, fanatics. It's like a Porsche. The Leica fanatics are saying that the MA is like... This is the best Leica ever made. Like right. they took everything they learned from the '60s on, right. and it's a total love letter to that. And they've refined it perfectly. So this is the perfect Leica, right? In uh, in purest ideas, right? Um, to get an M6 or an M3 or like so an M3, which this is based off of, that is in good working order, is like two thousand or twenty nine hundred ish. Okay, so you're saving fifteen hundred bucks, but you're getting a camera that's really old that has more room to break or have to be. Serviced. How much would it be? Because I'm assuming Leica, right? Leica probably stands by their products. So how much is it? Do they service it for free? Because it's Leica or not the M3, the not MA the M3? they would. Okay, not free either. That, it, but they can service it at least. So like, here's a so double stroke is the older one. So this is actually fifteen hundred. That's actually a really but good I was, price. I was looking at like these are Put that with the lens. Two, no. Okay. Um. So that's actually a low serial number. So I would need uh, you have to get the. Uh, there's all sorts of there you go. nerdy things here. M3 35 millimeter range finder with a 50 mil. Uh, that's awesome. Well, that's with a bid. Oh, okay, um, but still, that's gorgeous. Yes, yeah, so that's also a low number there. But yeah, that's actually the lens what, that was stolen that I had. What do you mean by low number? Help me out here. So that uh, anything before one million is um, an older design that they had. Oh. Once once the serial numbers go up to a million, it's a better. They sold that many. Oh yeah, it was. They sold it from nineteen sixty four up until so you nineteen fifty four to sixty four. You want a higher number, is what you're saying? Because it's slightly newer, and they they tweaked it a bit. Yeah. What do you know? What the serial number for yours was? I do. What yeah. was it? Do you know? I have off the it. top of your head. One million and something. Yeah, it, it was in the millions. Um, yeah, I wrote it down. I'm gonna. I'll go ahead and say it because if somebody finds it and they listen, please let me know. There you go. Uh, one million one hundred and ten thousand seven nine seven. Nice. So um, my great uncle Bobby, he he bought it in sixty four, paid cash for it. Um, what did they go for in nineteen sixty four? Do you know? Off the top, it was of your over. Head? I think yeah, I think it was like twelve hundred or something. So even back then, it, I mean that's expensive back. Then. Yeah. So yeah, twelve hundred in nineteen sixty four inflation. Yeah. 
Yeah, my my uncle. Um, let's see. There's a calculator. Come on. Yeah, there has to be. Whoa, ten thousand dollars. Wow, eleven thousand. Just or, uh, uh, yeah, just about eleven thousand. So, yeah, I'd, I might be off on the price, but it's probably equal to what a new Leica is five or six thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, or eight. Um, Inflation's my, wild. My great uncle never had children. He's always been very good with his money. Yeah. Um. So I'd imagine that he paid cash for it and and did it you know responsibly yeah uh, he wasn't wealthy by any means but he just he, he just had just some a, spare change yeah and he wanted to get a good quality product that's amazing i um, yeah man i i don't know for me and then the m6 is what everybody kind of says to get which okay. is it's got a light meter on it and those are three ish thousand yeah so at that point it's like so here's why I'm in my head. I'm like, this came out in the 80s. Right. So it's like, okay, this is what everybody has is the M6. Right. It was made with cheaper materials right. as well. So it's not brass. Um, it's still a good camera, but it's older. It has a light meter. I think. And sure, it is cheaper, but for $500 more, I can get a new like MA, which is the pinnacle. So here's here's my uh, uh, unasked for opinion. Um, if it were me... Uh, I wouldn't even touch an M6 based yeah. on the information you gave me. Now, the M3, however, uh, that would interest me. And I think if I found a solid deal on one with a lens, it'd be hard to pass that up. Right? Or the or the M2 as well, which is even cheaper and has better frame frame lines. Mm. Um, the, the problem with the M3 is it's really only designed for 50 millimeter lenses. Oh, that's it. And I like, well, the, the rangefinder patch here is magnified to a 50 yeah so like when i put my eye up to the viewfinder i'm looking at the equivalent of a 50 mm -hmm. so if i put a 35 or anything wider which i like 35 right um i can't actually see that so you have to put these silly goggles on it okay um i actually have not seen this i'm not a like a guy so yeah um five millimeter goggles look at that yeah so this little thing attaches to the m3 that's kind of cool, though. Which is a wide-angle lens on top of the rangefinder. Look at that. So that allowed you to shoot with a 35. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's 600 bucks, though. Wow, that's kind of expensive. And then you run the risk of... Um, yeah, I mean, you're right, because I'm not a professional. Um, I The thing that I do like about the... <laughs> obviously spending twice as much on the MA yeah. is the, the, the heirloom aspect... It'll be my camera and I'll be able it's it's because it's fully it was mechanical. Fully yours. You're the first owner. Mm -hmm. That whole aspect. Pass it, pass it both down. Ryan and Caleb have shown interest in photography, so who knows you know, who kind of a thing. Yeah. Who whatever um, is your favorite son. No I'm kidding. <laughs> Caleb has uh, picked it up more, the camera a little bit more. So the M two actually has thirty five millimeter frame line, so the mm. M two is a better option for um Yeah. And the M2 came out after ooh, that the one's M3. Been beat up. Um, I think ooh, that you bring up a good point. I'm a big like antique history guy. I love things that are old. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I would look into the M3 with a lens and see if I couldn't find a, a solid deal. But at the end of the day, man, you're spending a ton of money. So make sure you are happy with it. Well, fifteen hundred bucks, I think, is a little bit more. I mean, it's too. It still sounds dumb it is to spend that much money on a, on film, a camera? film camera yeah you still have to buy film and film's expensive um and you have a film camera yeah right here um and this is a great film camera by the way this is the, you have the ae one yeah the ae one i mean this is a great 
film camera. It's gorgeous looking too. Maybe I should just do this. Yeah. And it's easier to focus because it's an SLR. Yeah. Um, well, maybe I should just get this fixed up and then uh, just use this for now and then see if I like the process of using a film camera. Yeah. I think shooting film uh, lately, I, I, ha- I have to go out and shoot some more. I have three film rolls that are half shot right now. Uh, which is not ideal because now I don't know where I, I I wrote on the carton like I'm on shot ten or I'm on, shot, but I kept switching them out <laughs> that I don't know what I have now. So I might just get them developed, but uh, it's keeping me from shooting honestly. But I do need to get out and shoot more film. I think this is jammed. Like I think the shutter's jammed because it's not working. It won't, it won't shoot a shot. Yeah, so I have to get it fixed. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, but you could you could get that service. But I think even yeah, even with buying an older camera. It just makes more sense because you're saving fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. Yeah. So. Um. Or what you do is if it's it's that big of a deal and the money is that tight, uh, just wait. Just wait. It'll yeah. still be there, and then uh, buy one later. Yeah. yeah. Um. You don't need this now. You know. No. No. I don't. Exactly. So, uh, maybe fix up this one for now. Shoot some film shots. See if you're like, oh yeah, this is great, or oh man, I would not want to do this, and then. <laughs> um yeah, yeah it's a it's a good course. option i really like the um nikon f3 hp that's the film camera that i want to snag uh next this weird digital <laughs> that looks wrong you shouldn't you shouldn't see a leica like that uh but yeah I th- okay cool i'm glad though i discussed the film versus digital because i think there's the, the buying a digital leica is kind of weird yeah I, I do think that's a little it's a little goof for mm-hmm. sure just because of the price point like yeah, and it doesn't make sense to the me. reason you use a digital camera is so that for the convenience of digital right which at that point you might as well use an autofocus camera right so yeah there's so many other options for that price tag uh, yeah that would serve you so much better and you'd be more happy with even yeah. though the leica badge isn't on it <laughs> yeah of course well that was that was a long tangent but uh yeah that was pretty good because i'm a, a little gear guy so true yeah See you next week.